Welcome to episode 96 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Becky. She used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Becky, for your generous contribution. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps a few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Today, we're going to talk about isolation. Do you revert to isolating in times of increased stress and difficulty? Do you find it harder to work your program at these times? Today, we will talk about what isolation has meant to us. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of isolation. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I will be your host today. Joining me is co-host Harriet. How are you today, Harriet? I'm all right. I'm a little bit scared, but I'm doing okay. Thanks, Spencer. I appreciate it. It it is a little scary the first time, and maybe the second and the third time. (laughs) Right. That's what I would imagine. Okay, the first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic, isolation. Following a short break, we will talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in the meetings we attend and in our lives. We will follow that with your email or voice contributions and some brief news about the podcast before closing. Uh, Harriet, I believe you've chosen a reading for us. I have. I chose um, page 35 in How Al-Anon Works Under Breaking Our Isolation. The second paragraph is opening up, um, and it goes, in time, however, most of us find it, find it important to begin to talk about the things that trouble us. In Al-Anon, it is often said that we are only as sick as our secrets. A key to breaking the stranglehold that alcoholism has on our lives is to begin to open up and let those secrets out. Part of the isolation of this disease is the belief that we are unique that no one has done or said or felt the terrible things that we have done, said, and felt, and that no one could possibly understand. Therefore, we hide the truth at all costs. Until we challenge this sense of uniqueness by sharing our thoughts with other people who have known the shame and isolation of alcoholism, we may never find out that it is not real. As the suggested closing for our meeting reminds us, whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. We are not alone, and we need to unlearn the thinking that tells us that no one understands. This simply isn't true. Not everyone has been where we have been or felt what we have felt, but turning to those in Al-Anon who have also suffered the effects of alcoholism is different from turning to uninformed friends and neighbors. Although our stories may differ, we who live or have lived with alcoholism have a rare understanding of one another. Reaching out to other members is essential because a vital part of recovering from alcoholism's effects is breaking our isolation. To do so, we have to muster the courage to share. And I, I love that reading um, it, uh, because it talks both about the problem and about um, one of the solutions that, that we find in the program. Um, maybe we start by just sort of talking for a moment about what we understand this word isolation to mean. Sure. Um, 
to me, isolation really means that I close myself off from the outside world. Um, and that can look like many different things. Um, but it is, in essence, sort of going further and further into my own sort of closed thinking or thought process. Yeah, yeah. And for me, there were, and maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but that it's really the 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 way in which I act when I'm isolating that is, um, well, it's most obvious, but it also is is in a sense damaging to um, my spirit. Um, but yeah, closing myself off uh, for whatever reason, uh, and and closing myself off from other people, um, closing myself off from my higher power, closing myself off, sometimes closing myself off from myself, which seems a little odd, mm-hmm. but I think we can, uh, I will have some examples of that uh, um, as we as we talk about what isolation looked like for us. Right. Um, for me, what, what I wanted to add also was it may look like I am closing myself off from uh, reality, Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, what it can look like for me too. Yeah. So I, maybe I'll, maybe I'll talk a little bit about how I isolated before I found Al-Anon, um, that, you know, there was this, there was this thing going on in my family, in my house, in my life, uh, that for various reasons, uh, I felt I couldn't share uh, with with other people um, I couldn't share it with my friends I couldn't share it with my family um, and at least one of the reasons that I wasn't sharing was because of shame that this was not the perfect life that I had envisioned this was not the way my life was supposed to be this was not the way we were supposed to be acting uh, and and I couldn't fix it and for me that felt very shameful that felt like if I shared it with anybody that I would be judged that I would be seen as less than uh, and and that was scary so instead of um, instead of putting myself out for that uh, presumed expected pain. Uh, I instead sort of numbed myself. I, I I just stopped talking about things. I stopped sharing myself. Uh, and and I th- and I really think that in order to be to do that to not share with with the other people in my life, I also um, had to sort of hide the truth from myself. I guess that's called denial. That's another topic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> denial is, right. is, is certainly for me. Denial was part of the isolation that came from living in a home uh, with active alcoholism. How about yourself? Well, a lot of that speaks to me too. Um, and for me, I guess the question is, what did it look like a year ago? And there was definitely, 
I think the shame, I think initially I thought that the shame was in part due to my qualifier still using a year ago and me being completely powerless to stop that. Um, and again, I guess me having to come to terms with the fact that this was not the life that I pictured myself having. And more importantly, I think it was not the life that I wanted everybody to think that I had. And so in part, it was really the hiding came for me in, in the shape of pretending, pretending like everything was okay, pretending maybe by, you know, speaking about surface things only, yeah. um, pretending by, you know, sort of feeding an obsession that I might have. And, and I guess that's true too, of so that I can, you know, continue to isolate from my deeper self, uh, from my higher self. So feeding that obsession may look like, um, you know, compulsive show watching um, mm -hmm. and, you know, sort of only allowing myself to stay in that particular mindset. And it, it also could be, you know, with food, with sugar, maybe I physically wanted to feel something different. Um, and for me being isolating may look like being compulsively busy. I have two little children, so I don't have the luxury of isolating the way that I might want to, which might be to stay in bed for three days, you know, mm -hmm. and watch shows. I had to be creative and find other ways to isolate. Yeah. A lot of those, a lot of those behaviors just feel so familiar to me and, um, and I can see, you know, I still do some of that, um, and it's interesting. And maybe I think they're they're coping mechanisms for when I don't want to deal with something, uh, I don't want to feel something, um, and that that sort of comes back to the isolating from myself uh, concept that that um, you know that um, for me. Um, I have done the uh, the binge watching of of a TV shows. I have done you know, but which Netflix and Hulu and those things make so easy these days. Mm. I don't even have to go to the video store like I used to to pick up something and so I could watch it and just turn so on my easy. computer and there it is. Um, and uh, and so I will do that because it takes me out of myself. If if there's something going on that I guess I'm not comfortable with, and the thing is that when that's been happening more recently, um, I'm not maybe taking the time to recognize to to look and see what it is um, that's going on. Why am I doing this? Um, kind of weird. That's that's true too for me for sure. That I'm too it. When I said that it closes myself off from the outside world and I go further and further into that thinking. Um, and so I, I think I just become less capable, um, whether, you know, it, I don't even think it's intentional. I just think I drive myself further away. So I'm not even in a place of being capable of seeing what the isolation means or where it came from. 
Yeah. Um, and uh, I think we've talked a little bit about some of the reasons why and the, um, you know, there's, there's shame, the shame reason, which was certainly true for me um, while my alcoholic was still drinking. And, and I was thinking, you know, one of the forms of that isolation was uh, we used to um, socialize uh, a reasonable amount. I mean, we weren't like all the time, but we would go to, we would go to parties at people's houses. We would have people over to dinner. Um, and when the, when the alcoholism, alcoholism flared up, uh, we, we stopped doing that. I mean, we stopped having people over because um, it was, you know, the house was maybe kind of a mess and, um, and I didn't want to have people in the house uh, if she was going to be, um, you know, obviously drunk. I mean, that was not going to be pleasant for me. And and the same thing with going out. Uh, I remember um, several times before I really started to isolate where we would go out and, and I would be embarrassed by um, her behavior. Uh, and, uh, and, and so my answer to that was, well, obviously just don't go. Um, and so, so cutting ourselves off, cutting myself off from, from social situations also, or maybe occasionally uh, going to an event and making excuses. Oh, she's not feeling well tonight. Well, probably true, but uh, you know, not telling the truth because the truth was too shameful. Um, and, and as you say, talking about surface things and, and when I do that, when I'm just talking about surface things, I lose connection. Yeah. That, that is true for me, too. And shame is a part of why I isolate, too, I think. And I think initially I touched on this, that I thought I felt shame about my situation. Um, but I realized that I really felt shame about me, that there was something broken in me that I couldn't fix the situation um, that, you, you know, the energy between my qualifier and myself was toxic at times. And, you know, the thought of somebody seeing that and validating this conjecture that I had, that I was broken, that there was something wrong with me that everybody else in my shoes you know, would do better with what they had. The The thought of exposing that was too much. And so I would pretend that everything was okay um, or stay surface, but that became intolerable and exhausting as well. Um, another reason that I think that I isolate, and I was I realized this the other day, was when there is this disconnect for me between my mind and my body and my spirit and the disconnect I had said that what isolation may look like to me is to go further and further into my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love podcasts. I, and I love this one in particular. And I had said that isolating may look like to me compulsively listening to podcasts, even this one, but that I could be isolating even while listening to this podcast because I'm just looking to go further and further into my mind Mm -hmm. and I'm not willing to connect with my body or my spirit 
Um, and so to me, I have found that that is what isolation looks like a little bit now to me. Um, and another reason I was thinking why I isolate is really just that if I am having a feeling that I'd really rather not be feeling, um, and I don't really feel like looking at myself to understand why I'm having that feeling, I tend to look outside of myself um, to sort of avoid having to do that work, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, you said something there that I need to pull back into my into my consciousness because... I was, I kept on listening, you know, I wasn't able to hang on to the idea. Uh, (laughs) You were talking about feeling not good enough, right, and and not wanting other people to validate that that feeling. And I remember another way that that I manifested uh, my isolation was in actively pushing people away. Uh, I remember one time that my mother tried to um, tried to start a conversation about my wife's drinking. Um, I think this was after we had been to my cousin's wedding, and uh, both my cousin and his father are alcoholics in recovery. And my uncle, who is my mother's brother, uh, said to her, it really looked like my wife um, was was drinking alcoholically, something like that. I, I don't know. I don't know the exact words he used. And uh, and my mother tried to open a conversation about this, and I just shut it down. Um, just was not willing to talk about it, uh, and and got very angry. And and of course, then she didn't you know pursue that any further because <laughs> that reaction. Uh, and so I was very successful in keeping my isolation there, uh, right, you know, where somebody right. even tried to open the door a crack, and I was like slamming it shut. So what helps? What what have you found, um, you know, in Al-Anon or in other practices that helps you to to break out of um, your isolation, or or even to maybe to notice that you're isolating? Right. I think um, there are many techniques that I can use and I'm learning to use that helps to break the isolation down. But I think the first thing that helps me is to look at it as a barometer um, and to see it as a barometer that I need to look at something deeper within. So by that, I mean to not judge myself for isolating. Um, So what helps, I guess, is to, when I do acknowledge that I'm isolating, my first instinct would be to sort of shame myself for, you know, indulging in a behavior um, that I wish I didn't, that, um, you know, that I'm working on, but to, to sort of ask myself why I'm isolating and to acknowledge first and foremost, that the reason that I'm isolating is probably because I'm hurting or I'm struggling in some way and that I don't really need that self-critic right then and there. What I need is a little compassion for my own circumstance 
Um, and that does not come naturally to me. That is not my oldest circuitry, um, but I'm working on it because I've I found that the other circuitry, when I do judge myself initially, I tend to just go further and further um, into an isolating pattern. Um, but some of the things that help me to break my cycle is really just to do one thing different. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that can be in, you know, step 11, doing a meditation for me, I'm really new to meditation. So that sort of looks like an intentional breathing exercise. Um, and that may be it. Mm-hmm. It may be a breathing exercise while trying to be present with my dog. Um, or it may be going to a meeting is meditative for me and helpful and helps break often whatever cycle I happen to be in. Um, Writing is helpful to me. And what that tends to do for me is to help me to connect with myself. I, I think my instinct is that I'm isolating. I need to connect with others is sort of what I think I should do. But I am finding that the first thing I really need to do is to connect with myself. And until I do that, I really can't genuinely connect with anybody else anyway. And then I'm surfacy and then I, I'm displeased with, you know, the connection I have with somebody. So um, writing is a medium that helps me to reconnect and reconcile um, with myself before I can then connect with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a practice that I've never been really good at. I, I wanted to, um, when you were talking about sort of um, not judging yourself, accepting your current reality, uh, what that reminded me of is sort of the way that I have learned in this program to do inventory of myself that one of the things that that scared me about the 12 steps and I think kept me from considering uh, any kind of 12-step recovery for myself. I knew my wife needed it. Obviously, she needed it, but I didn't need it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the things that scared me off was that that inventory in step four, uh, because I I really just couldn't conceive of doing an inventory without shaming myself, without judging myself, that I would be listing out all of these horrible traits and feeling horrible about it, and I didn't want to do that. Um, and you know, I think it came from. Number one, from first listening to other people describe their process of inventory, talking about how, um, you know, it, it was not a shameful thing. It was an enlightening uh, opening up uh, and and seeing themselves for who they really were and and talking about, you know, being able to do it just as a listing of traits without uh, trying to put judgments on them or trying not to put judgments on them, maybe more realistically. And then doing it. And I I think I've said before on the podcast, when I did 
my first inventory, when I did my first step four, I did it with a group. Uh, it was a, a, a group of, I think there were eight of us, and we had started at step one uh, following the, uh, the, the course of study, if you will, laid out in the book Paths to Recovery. And so by the time we got to step four, we had developed some intimacy and trust with each other. And going into step four and each of us talking about how we saw uh, each of these character traits that there's, there are questions in the, in the book that we were answering uh, and each of us answering those questions to each other out loud um, made it really easy to see that these things that I thought were Unique to me, and I think you you talked about uniqueness, uh, or the reading talked about uniqueness, I guess, yeah. Um, I thought these were unique and horrible, and and they're not. You know, there was there was always at least somebody else around the table, and usually more than one, who who shared something with me uh, in terms of we we had these same traits and we had these same character defects, to use that term, and that was. Um, a liberating experience, it really was, uh, and made it a lot easier for me to see inventory as something that I can do to understand what's going on in me uh, and not to beat myself up with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my sponsors have been helpful with that, too, that um, there was a, one one question in about... In the Blueprint for Progress, there's this question about how was I dishonest as a child? And I wrote down some things, and then I thought, oh, I'm going to have to make amends to my parents for these things I did when I was little. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I will I will show myself up to them as a horrible person, right? Yeah. Um, and I brought this to my sponsor, and he said, you're on step four. You're not on steps eight and nine. You're not thinking about inventory. Uh, you're not thinking about amends now. You're thinking about inventory. Just write it down, and don't worry right now about what you're going to do about it. And and again, that was sort of a liberating thought. And so every time, as I was writing something down, that I started to uh, carry it forward into the future to um, you know to catastrophize about what was going to happen uh, when I had to make an amend or just what a horrible person I was for uh, acting in this way, I could say to myself, you're just taking an inventory. You're mm-hmm. just making a list. Um, and and it, it has become easier. It has become easier to see the thing without feeling like I have to act on it immediately. Whether that action lies in making amends or just uh, if that action lies in... Uh, beating myself up and shaming myself. I mean, those are both actions. And, and uh, you know, we have the, our three A's, right? Awareness, acceptance, action. Mm-hmm. So I become aware of something. Um, and then the next step is not to figure out what to do about it. No, the next step is to accept that this is something that is real. You know, this is my current reality. This is my current who I am. And only after I've reached that acceptance, then can I, can I think about the action? And, and I tell you what, you know, accepting things that are in me uh, can really change the way I think I need to deal with it. 
mm-hmm. rather than than the way I would have jumped into. Um, so that is that is something that the program has really helped me um, in in so many ways. I mean, I use this this inventory in so many parts of my life now, and it, and it's such a um, such an amazing tool to to be able to and then and then the trust uh the trust in the program the trust in the people in the program to be able to share it mm-hmm. i think the saying you know we're only as sick as our secrets and boy did i have a bunch of secrets and i don't have to have all those secrets now and I can see, I can see in myself where I'm still keeping secrets and, and where those secrets keep me from being um, as open in uh, friendships and relationships as I would like to be. Uh, and sometimes I'm not ready to open up that secret. And, but I know that it's making me sick uh, and that encourages me, encourages me to find a way to move forward. And, um, and I think that in some in in the one case that I'm thinking of that I'm not talking about you actually here I'm just talking around it, uh, you know I'm still coming to acceptance. I'm still coming to complete awareness mm-hmm. of what you know what in me brought about these events that are causing me to feel bad that are causing me to feel shameful. Um, and I don't think I have that full inventory yet. Uh, and maybe I never will. And maybe I just have to come to, and I've come to some levels of acceptance, but not to the point where, um, I'm willing to share it openly. Um, I think a previous sponsor I have opened up to about it somewhat. Um, but that's about it. Uh, and I'm starting to talk around it in meetings, which is another form of sharing and, and another way that you, you talked about breaking open isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure people are tired of hearing me talk about it, but it is what it is. <laughs> anyway. There was there was one thing I forgot to mention, mm-hmm. um, which is, but this is a good segue into it, is... Um, I did. So I read uh, Brene Brown's book. She became famous for doing two TED Talks. Yeah. Um, on vulnerability and shame. Yeah. And um, I have recommended those TED Talks. I can't tell you to how many people, but you know what she and she talked a lot about shame and what she said in essence is that for shame to continue to live, it needs secrecy, silence, and judgment. Mm, there we go. Yeah. yeah and how yeah. empathy and sharing is really the antidote to that. Yeah. Yeah, I have that that book. My sister gave it to me for Christmas last year, and I have to admit I haven't opened it yet. But I have watched the TED Talks more than once. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I, I have too. And actually that can be, you know, when I feel like I'm isolating because I'm really afraid of being vulnerable in front of other people, um, which can be a reason for me too. Um, I watch the TED Talks and they are inspiring to me too. Yeah. Um, how does service help break isolation? Um, 
For me, so I am relatively new in Al-Anon, but service for me comes in the form of there are, um, I have a member who emails me often um, and he emails me his struggle and his story. Mm -hmm. And in his incredible honesty and bravery for really sharing his story with me, it really inspires me to be open about my own story as well. Um, and so it really does so much more for me, I feel, um, or as much for me anyway, as what I hope, you know, it does for him too. Yeah, I think, I think it might've been Brene Brown who I heard say this, that, that vulnerability exposes, Expressing vulnerability or exposing vulnerability begets trust. Mm-hmm. Um, that if if I open up to you about something personal, you're more likely to have some trust in me that I will, um, you know, preserve your confidentiality, your emotional safety, whatever it might be. Um, so funny story. I was. Uh, my wife and I have recently started um, watching TV shows together on Hulu or Netflix. Uh, this is part of me breaking that isolation within the family that kept me emotionally safe for so long. And you'd think after nine years of sobriety, I would have gotten there already, but I'm not. Mm. Um <sighs> Anyway, that's that's my path, and <clears throat> and so we were watching uh, the f- first episode of the TV series Bones, and I don't know if you're familiar with that at all. I haven't watched it, but I've heard good things about it. Uh, the in in the first episode, you get introduced to the characters. Obviously, this was the pilot, I guess, and um, the main character, who's nicknamed Bones, the forensic anthropologist. Um, exhibits um, a very, I, I would say, somewhere on the autism spectrum in terms of being very brilliant about her field and and very not understanding about uh, social interactions at all. And it's never diagnosed as, as that in the story. And actually, as her personality develops through the series, that that aspect is still there, but it's much less emphasized. But in the first episode, two different people tell her that in order to, uh, that in order to develop a friendship, uh, you need to, um, you know, expose something about yourself. You need to, you need to tell the other person something personal. And, and she, you know, you can just see her thinking, what, what what's that about kind of thing. <laughs> uh, but after the second person tells her that she says, that's the second time I've heard that today. And, uh, and then I think she does sort of follow up with it. But um, anyway, it was, it was, it was a neat little uh, experience. And I had seen that some years ago um, when the show was much newer uh, and had, had forgotten about how fresh that episode was, you know, it's kind of the series to me is kind of bogged down and I'm, I'm, I'm not really watching it much anymore. And anyway, wow. Segue, uh, or no, what sure, is that? non sequitur. Sure. That's a non sequitur sort of, um,
I love watching my show through the lens of recovery. It really just makes it a whole different, you know, animal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm not thinking of examples now, but I know I've had these things where it's like, Oh, really? <laughs> There's a little 12 step in there. You don't know it, but that's what exactly, it is. Exactly. Yes. Um, that is, that is kind of fun. All right. Do we have any um, other thoughts we want to share here about isolation, getting out of isolation? The, there are three podcasts that you have that I really listen to that I find to be helpful when I am isolating. And I, I think that they sort of get to the core maybe as to why I am, but they are the suffering is optional, the three A's, which you touched on, mm-hmm. and self-care, which is one thing I didn't mention, but I think it bears mentioning because um you know, recently I feel like I have been isolating because uh, my mother is sick and I have been really spending an awful lot of time with her and I have two kids and I work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have really not been taking care of myself um, and my self-care has plummeted. And, um, you know, I think that One of the things that we mentioned much earlier on is that when we're able to look at our behavior, or I think I had said, and see it as a barometer as to what it means instead of necessarily taking it at face value, Mm. I have to be in a certain place where I am taken care of, where I have a certain amount of self-care for me to even be capable of seeing that. Um, and so that's why I like the self-care episode and that's just one other way that, um, you know, I think helps to break probably any cycle, but, you know, for me, especially the cycle of isolation is to choose to use my energy instead of going further and further into my isolation, you know, to make one choice initially in the direction of self-care tends to help me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, my pattern's a little different, but very similar in that, um, you know, in my case, uh, with, with my mother's health, um, and her mental health declining, my isolationist instinct is to cut off from her, to cut off from what I see as the source of the pain Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm I'm immensely grateful that I now have the ability to look at myself and say, "Oh, that's what I'm doing," uh, because then once I once I see that, then I can actually do something to change it. Um, you know, this happened last summer when I realized that I had been not visiting. Um, I guess we saw them at the beginning of the summer when my son it was a year and a half ago now, right? Yeah, when my son graduated college, and and then normally we would go visit, and we didn't, uh, and partly because going to my son's graduation in Arizona was sort of our family trip for the year. But um, and towards the end of the summer, I was going to be driving him off to college in Connecticut, which basically would be driving right by where my parents live. And I had this momentary thought that I would just drive by. Uh, or I would take a different route that, that didn't go within uh, 50 mm-hmm. miles of their home. 
<laughs> you know, on a, a 750 mile each way trip, uh, 50 miles is not much, right? Sure, it's a drop in the bucket. And uh, and no, I'll just go across I-80 through Pennsylvania both directions, and, and I won't have to stop and see them. And and I caught myself in this thought. I caught myself in this. I'm going to avoid seeing her because that's going to hurt. And I was able to to see that and to say to myself, it's going to hurt a lot more if you don't see her and she dies. Um, and again, gift of the program here mm-hmm. to be able to, to see that, to be able to say that to myself, but also then to be able to, when I'm visiting, be with her as she is and not, wish I was with her as the way she used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I came into this program because I was going crazy from trying to deal with somebody else's alcoholic behavior, but I have gotten gifts that are helping me in all parts of my life. And that is a huge one uh, to be able to understand that, you know she's doing the best that she can right now mm-hmm. and and that this is this is who she is this is what is going on with her life and that however much i might wish it to be something else it's not going to be that and so to be able to sit in that acceptance and to enjoy the moment and to have meetings available to go to when it's getting to be too much for me and i need a reminder <laughs> Right. <laughs> um, you know, that happened on the last visit. I, I just, um, I, her behavior started, um, you know, triggering me into um, some anger, um, an anger reaction, which is a, a, an out of fear uh, anger. And I was able to say, you know what? Well, I already had a plan to, and it was it was really fortuitous that that started coming up just just as it was time for me to leave and go to a meeting. Um, you know, maybe my higher power gave me a little a little assist mm-hmm. there. Like, hey, here's this going on now. Now you can go to a meeting and you can talk about it. And and instead of uh, continuing to, you know, maybe I would have gone for a walk or something if that hadn't been the case. But you know, it's a gift. It's a gift. And and that visit in the summer um, last year. Um. I was just able to see her through a lens of compassion instead of a lens of fear. Mm. Um, And partly because I had thought about it ahead of time. I had thought about how, how I could feel, how, uh, how I could act and, and, and what attitude I could have. Uh, And, to make a conscious decision to to have an attitude of acceptance, to have an attitude of um, let's let's do what we're doing right now and let's not worry about what maybe is going to happen in the future, to be able to ha- decide ahead of time that that was how I wanted to be there, um, it all came from all came from doing this work. Mm-hmm. Um, so it helped to keep me. It helped to bring me out of the isolation that I was doing again, uh, you know, with her. That that I was shutting her out of my life because I didn't want to feel the the pain today, um, and and not. And this is a pattern for me. 
I would rather not feel pain today, and I don't care what it's going to be tomorrow. Um, and it, maybe it's going to be a lot worse tomorrow, but I'm not feeling it today, so that's good. Um, right. And, and it, you know, I'm learning to, to work through that and not do that as much. I think that's a very human trait, you know, in sure. general. I, I don't even think that that's just limited to Al-Anon. But, you know, what what is a gift to me, too, is, and it seems like you described that, is that you thought about your choices beforehand, that you were intentional in your living about them. And, and that to me is a huge difference that intention versus being in a place of reaction. Yeah. And I will also say that, that I broke isolation in a number of ways that day as I was driving from uh, dropping my son off at school where I don't know if you remember the story, he was going to be living in a tent in the woods while attending grad school. Right. Um, and that was kind of painful. Uh, sure. And then going to visit my mother and, and I had about a, I think a six hour drive maybe from, from where I dropped my son off at school to where they lived. And I spent a good portion of that time. Um, let's see. I had a, a CD book on CD from a friend about acceptance and I listened to that whole thing and I, I think I talked to three different program people, uh, all all in this drive, and and I think the next day I talked to some program people too on the phone, and so, you know, that's another huge thing, and that was where I wanted to to sort of end with with my sharing on this was coming back to my first meeting, my first meeting where I walked in feeling out of control, feeling at my wits end, really hoping I would not see anybody I knew because the shame. Mm -hmm. Of course I did. Uh, And so walking into that meeting full of fear and also some hope uh, and walking out of that meeting, knowing, knowing that I was not alone anymore. Um, was that was so huge, and that that feeling of not being alone, that feeling of here are some people who know what's going on in my life, who understand it, and they're not judging me; they're accepting me and they're welcoming welcoming me in. Um, you know, that was enough to get me to come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't I didn't have to see anything else than I'm not alone to get me to come back. Any, any last thoughts you want to share? For me, one of the things that I am really working on in my program is I love reading books and I love listening to podcasts and I love going to meetings and really getting into the theory of the program. Mm. I love the theory and I love intellectualizing it and I love looking back on my life and explaining what happened and being that Monday morning quarterback for myself Mm -hmm. and sort of, but it is so much harder. And this is, I think the crux of it for me with isolation is using it in practice. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, how imperfect that looks and how, (laughs) you know, and how they're, how painful it is. And, and, um, 
and how we muddle our way through and how it's never perfect. I think initially when I first started, still really wanting to hold on to the perfectionism. And and I know that that's closely related to shame too, was it was like, oh, this is going to be the black and white thing that will actually help me to arrive to this place that I've always wanted to arrive. And, you know, I've been in the program long enough to understand intellectually certain things, but I haven't been in it long enough to have put it into practice and to sort of see and experience all the way through with also having some distance from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is, I, I guess, sort of to have that patience with myself um, and that, you know, trust, as you mentioned, um, and, and acceptance of what is and where I am and to trust that, um, that I will learn or grow or I won't. And that's okay too. Um, but that what's going to happen is going to happen. Um, and it will be imperfect. Um, and it's mine and it's my story. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, I picked a a really short, uh, reading to close with. This is from Hope for Today on page 50. It's actually the, the quote at the bottom of the page. The only way to release ourselves from the hold of these dark demons is to break the isolation and bring them into the light by sharing with others who understand. After a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about how recovery acts in all aspects of our lives. Harriet, you want to talk about the first musical selection? Yes. Um, Our first musical selection, which you can listen to on the website at therecoveryshow.com slash 96, is Pink Floyd with Comfortably Numb. Um, And... I Spencer and I were talking and I just said, how could you not choose this song um, for the first musical selection? Um, and the lyrics um, from the chorus are, there is no pain, you are receding. A distant ship smoke on the horizon. You are only coming through in waves. Your lips move, but I can't hear what you're saying. I have become comfortably numb. And you know, what the chorus sort of speaks to me and, and actually like the tenor and the energy of the song is really just the apathy that accompanies isolation for me um, and how that apathy, I guess, comes from numbing the pain, but it also comes from or results in numbing everything. And that's sort of what I feel that the song really captures for me. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week. And I, I'll start here. Uh, thinking back over my week, it's been it's been a frustrating week at work, um, and uh, I just have to. It's been a frustrating week, and and part of the frustration comes from. Factors that are not in my control. Um, we're 
actually using some software from a company that's in England. And we're trying to really figure out how to fit it into the things that we're trying to do and whether it's doing things in the way that we expect it to or if our expectations maybe are wrong, in which case we have to adjust what we're doing. And the interaction is slow because they're five hours ahead of us so the overlap that we have in our working days is is minimal. Uh, by the time I'm going to lunch, they're going home. And, and so when we need to say, is this how something works? Is this doing the right thing? We think this is doing the wrong thing. We sort of get one interaction per day. And there might be some conversation there, and we have we, we you know we have a short, actually daily phone meeting. But it's and and at the end of the meeting, it feels like something's maybe resolved, and then I go on working in the afternoon, and I'm like, well, finding new problems, and and it and I just have to you know I can use my my Al-Anon to remind myself that this is just. The way this is, I don't. If I if I just get frantic and frustrated, it it's not helping me. Um, and what what I can do is to sort of spend the time to sort of learn as much as I can, so that the interaction the next day can get as much resolved as possible. I'm not saying this very well, but um, the the program is definitely helping me there. I know that there there are some other people involved too. Um, have just gotten really, really frustrated and really angry, uh, and that didn't that doesn't help the that doesn't help the process at all. Um, so I kind of feel like I'm using my tools there. We're coming up on that annual uh, ritual that that I have always dreaded, which is the uh, um, the self assessment and uh, performance review. Mm-hmm. Um, it's getting easier because of the things that I talked about in terms of doing inventory and mm-hmm. and seeing it just as an inventory. But um, you know, then there's the meeting with the boss where he he does my fifth step for me. You know, and, <laughs> um, and I know there's going to be some things in there, and and I'm I'm like kind of apprehensive. Like, is he going to see this as having improved this year? I know I've been trying to improve on it and not really knowing. And I suppose I could ask him. Like, hey, how am I doing on this, like, communicating openly thing? I think I'm doing better. I think I'm, like, not getting angry as people, at people as much as I, as I used to. Uh, what do you think? I could ask him that, or I could just wait and have him tell me. I don't know. We'll see. Um, <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, like you said, progress. Um, practice makes progress. Uh, somebody said that to me in a meeting Mm. and I was like, Oh, that's so much better than practice makes perfection because it doesn't, Uh, but it does make progress. Uh, And I I was sort of thinking about that as you were talking about um, sort of being a little bit new in the program and not, and, and sort of having these tools, but not uh, applying them as well as you'd like to or whatever. And it's like, well, you know, that that's, yeah, I've been there and I'm still there. I'm still practicing and I'm still making progress. And that's that's all we can really, all we can really do. 
thinking about meetings this week, um, I missed my my uh, Wednesday home group meeting. Uh, I had a work thing, um, and uh, I did make it to a couple other meetings. None of the, neither of them really stand out in my mind. Uh, trying to think. Oh, I know. Yeah, Sunday meeting we had newcomers, so we did a first step, uh, and. You know, what I try to do when we do that is to hopefully say something that the newcomer can identify with uh, so that maybe they walk out of the meeting with the feeling that I walked out of my first meeting with. Mm. Um, and I, I actually have sort of a set of things that I say pretty much in the same order every time I do it, but it's always different. I'm always sort of, um, you know, moved to, to emphasize one part or another of my story. Um, but that's, that's the goal is for the newcomer to feel like, yeah, these people understand for, for, for me to say something that will touch them. Uh, and that's, that's what I hope for. Mm. Um, and, and so that was, um, that was a good meeting. We, I think we ran a little bit late, which is a problem because the the guys who run the AA meeting are the ones who have to close up the church after we're done. So um, they get—I mean, they're nice guys, okay, but uh, they they give us a hard time if we if we run over, and so we we really try hard not to. Um, I mean, it's courteous as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, my um, Saturday morning meeting uh, was step eleven, which. Uh, was it was actually it was a nice reminder that I talked a couple weeks ago about spiritual practice and about how um, I wasn't doing real well at having a regular spiritual practice and that my higher power had been sending me signals about that and and so then you know here we are a week and a half later and I'm like well you know I've been kind of slacking on that idea uh, so here we are getting another reminder because we're doing step eleven in the meeting um, and yeah. Um, and after, um, I guess after I talked to Ruth last week, when, when we talked about uh, Tradition 11, she sent me a, uh, a link to a meditation app that she's been using on her phone. And so I downloaded that. And one of the things that I have only used a couple of the meditations in it so far, one of the things I like is that it has short ones and it has longer ones. Uh, and I think there's some that you can kind of set them to whatever length you want them to be. And there's guided meditations and there's silent meditations with bells and and a whole bunch of stuff that I haven't even figured out um, what's in there yet. But and it came with uh, a spoken introduction. I thought, well, this is interesting, so I played it. And and the person giving the introduction is using the same voice that they're using in the guided meditation, so it was kind of fun that that calm, you know, smooth mm-hmm. voice, right? Uh, but one of the things that she said was, you could. You can use this if you're just like standing, waiting, standing in line somewhere. And I thought, really, I could do that. It's it's on my phone. It's right there. And so uh, I, I actually was listening to that as I was standing in a coffee shop waiting for my coffee to be prepared. Good for you. And and so as I walked out, I started the three minute guided meditation because <laughs> I figured I could do three minutes. Um, and of course it talked about finding a comfortable place to sit and stuff. And I'm walking from the coffee shop to work and I just kind of, you know, go past that. But it, it, it was, it was a mindfulness sort of a little bit of a body scan, you know, and I could focus on my breathing. I could focus on just what was around me and not, um, 
not trying to think ahead to what was I going to do when I got to work and how was the day going to go and was I going to solve these problems that I had. I could just be there in the moment and it really did help. Only three minutes. It didn't even get me all the way to work. I was like, next time I'll have to do the five-minute one because I guess it takes about five minutes to walk from the coffee shop to work. Uh, So a little bit of progress, a little bit of progress. And this thing is on my phone and it's sitting there staring at me. So hopefully that will remind me that uh, I, I want to do that. I'm trying to banish the word should and need from from that vocabulary and and replace it with uh, something like want. This is something I want to do, isn't it? I mean, maybe it's something I need to do, but it's something I want to do. And and that feels a lot better than saying I need to do it because I need to do it and then I don't do it. That's judgmental. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling judged because I didn't do it, because I needed to do it. But if I wanted to do it and I don't get it done well, okay, there are a lot of things I want to do that I don't get to. And I can be easier on myself. So that's kind of my week. Um, my uh, my genderqueer child came came home from college for Thanksgiving uh, Thanksgiving week. And we, they'll be staying with us, and that's bringing that whole transition from understanding this person in one way to understanding them in a different way. Um, and I'm reaching out for support. I'm talking about it to people. I'm talking about my feelings, you know? I mean, it's like, I love, I love this, this child, whatever, um, you know, whatever they do, whatever, uh, however they express themselves, however they express their identity, uh, however they understand their identity. I love them. Um, but, change that feels that fundamental about somebody who's been in my life for 23 years since they were born uh, is not easy. Um, And we had a little conversation when they got home and they said, I understand it's not easy for you guys. I understand that, that you're working, you're doing the best you can to, to work with me on this, to understand me on this. And, and I give you guys a lot of slack and it was, it was good to hear. It was helpful for me emotionally to hear that. But I, I wrote, reached out, um, actually reached out last night on Facebook to um, uh, a trans man friend and said, you know, I'm, I'm struggling emotionally with this. And, and they said, well, you know, I should put you in touch with my mother because she can probably talk about how as a parent um, she went through this process uh, and, and provide you better support. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Um, that's a great idea. Thank you. Uh, and again, this is breaking the isolation, reaching out, um, asking for help. Uh, so there, right back to our topic. All right. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. I like that. Um, for me, with my week, um, I had mentioned that my mom is sick. And a, a theme for me, a perpetual theme is balance in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am really trying to balance in part because of the time that the, the time that I'm spending with her um, has sort of created a shift in my balance of self-care I had mentioned. Yeah. And one thing also is that I am spending a lot of time with my parents, with my family of origin. And that is to be around this system, which is, really strong and really triggery sometimes Mm. for me. 
And, um, and that is some, but I, I am choosing to do that. It's not, I, I'm trying to use your word. I, I want to do that. I want to do that for them. And, and part of my program work is sort of seeing that as my choice that I am choosing to be with them. Um, and that really helps me with, without having any emotional aftermath of resentment, Mm-hmm. of of that self-care of how I feel depleted yeah. um, to really intentionally look at that as my choice um, is sort of how I'm trying to use the program um, in that situation. Also, I am really trying to work on acceptance um, of, of what is, of what time I have with my mom um, uh, and acceptance that my of my emotional place, of my isolation, of my coping mechanisms. I It occurred to me, somebody asked how I was doing, and I said, you know, we're in survival mode. And then I had this epiphany. It's like, oh, my God, I'm in survival mode. Of course, all of my survival mechanisms are really just so surface right now. And so part of, you know, my program work is just accepting that without judgment, um, and trying to be compassionate to myself, um, you know, when I can and, and intentionally. So, um, I, in trying to really step 11 for me or, you know, just meditation in general before the weather changed what I would do. And I, I, walking for me is meditative in general. And so I would go for a walk with a dog and I would try to pay attention to each one of my senses. You know, I see such and such, I I smell, I hear, and sort of go on for, you know, almost a mile trying to lose myself in my senses. And um, that was helpful. Lately, my senses have been telling me I'm cold on the walk. Mm. So I need need to find a replacement for that. But um, but, um, in terms of meetings for me, we had a really, I go to two meetings a week and I usually listen to you guys one time. Um, and, um, my Friday night meeting, it was a great topic on boundaries, which I think it's always just great to, um, to hear that. And I, I loved actually your podcast for that too. Um, but um, but that was a good meeting, and there it was a good speaker, and it was a speaker who had been in Al-Anon for nine years or so, and and she talked about her you know struggling through this particular boundary that she had had, and I you know it it felt good to see that nobody does it perfectly, even if it's somebody I admire, even if it's somebody who has been in the program for years and years. Um, and that that's okay. And that was really good to hear. Um, I usually go to a Sunday meeting, but I didn't today in an effort to do some self-care. And I sort of look at this as a meeting too, for me. Um, and, um, and I think that basically I, I'm just trying to look for and find the space, that space where I can even, um, connect with, with my higher power and sort of feel that awareness just to find and look for intentionally that space for me. So that's, that's what I got. All right. Well, thank you. 
we have uh, some upcoming topics uh, next week. Um, uh, it will be Thanksgiving weekend here. It's our Thanksgiving holiday in the United States. And so I'll be talking about gratitude. Um, I may be doing that one alone. I may have a friend with me. I'm not sure yet. But it seemed like a good time to talk about it. I know I've talked about it before, but it's always a good topic. And since the the week after that is December, uh, Ruth and I will be covering Tradition 12 at some point, It's uh, which says, Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles above personalities. And I think if I have a favorite of the traditions, it is that one. So we welcome your thoughts. You can join the conversation. Please please leave us a voicemail or send an email with your feedback or questions. And Harriet, how can people send us feedback? Maybe send us some of their gratitudes uh, at the moment. You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now to 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecoveryshow.com. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, hope, or your questions about today's topic of isolation or any of your upcoming topics, gratitude or tradition 12. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. Spencer, where can our listeners find out more about The Recovery Show? Well, that would be uh, on our website, which is therecoveryshow.com. We have all the information about the show there. includes notes for each episode, um, occasional meditations, links to the music we talk about, and we've got some links to other recovery podcasts and websites that we like. Uh, And I wanted to... uh, just uh, give a little shout out here the, about suggesting topics because this was a, a suggested topic um, by you, right? That's right. And uh, so we do. Uh, I'm always looking for ideas, you know. And and if if you're going to come up and and suggest a topic to me, I'll probably pick it up and run with it because honestly, that's easier than going back to that big long topic list and saying, well, what haven't we talked about yet? What might be good? Uh, or, you know, maybe I get inspiration from my life, which has also happened uh, quite a bit recently. But I love your suggestions, so keep them coming. And uh, you can do that by email. You can comment uh, on the website. You can comment on the topics page. Uh, you can send a voicemail. Uh, whatever whatever your uh, preferred mode of communication is. And, of course, if you'd really like to join the conversation just like Harriet is today, uh, you can uh, be a guest host by phone or Skype or other electronic communication. Uh, email feedback at com if you're interested in doing that. So I'm going to take a short break before we look at the uh, mailbag. And the second musical selection, which is also available on our website, is Secrets by Mary Lambert. Kat recommended this in an email. She said... I love the idea that we can let go of the fear of what others think and our own thoughts and feelings without having to bury them hidden in shame and fear. And uh, speaking for myself, it definitely was secrets and shame and fear that put me into isolation. And part of uh, breaking out of that isolation was letting go of the fear and becoming vulnerable by sharing my secrets with other people. 
and Al-Anon found, was, a, was a, a place that I found that I felt safe in doing that, that I felt able to do that because uh, of the, uh, the love and understanding that I found in the program. And so some of the words from the song here, they tell us from the time we're young to hide the things that we don't like about ourselves inside ourselves. I know I'm not the only one who spent so long attempting to be someone else. Well, I'm over it. I don't care if the world knows what my secrets are. Secrets are. So what? So what? And it's just, it's a really, you know, sort of bouncy song, too. And I always like that. Uh, so to me, this speaks about um, breaking out of isolation by uh, letting go of, of that shame and fear and you know, saying, I don't care if the world knows what my secrets are. had a few emails this week. Uh, start with one from Brian. Brian has uh, written in the past, and I'm glad to uh, to see you're still listening, Brian. He shared a YouTube video about presence uh, that uh, I will put a link um, on the website, um, maybe in the show notes or, or possibly as a separate uh, post. I haven't quite decided. But he says, hi, Spencer. Long time no talk. Not much has changed in my life except I'm using the program more and more. I almost never forward stuff onto people, but I just can't shake this message from Lululemon. I think there's a real strong connection between this YouTube clip and recovery. Because if there's anything that I know about the addicts in your life, that this authentic concept of presence is really lacking when you were present with them, pardon the pun. Well, that's what I found in my case, as they say in the program, take what you want and leave the rest. I digress. Do you think this YouTube clip could be shared with your audience in some shape or form? Absolutely, Brian. Loved the last podcast. My God, I did the topic at my meeting last night and brought a hula hoop. My main thrust is working the program through the hoop on the table, then placed my program books in the center, ODAT, etc. Then I let the group loose. It's weird. I didn't really talk more than three minutes, but almost everyone around the table let me know what a great job I did. It's kind of a weird feeling. I always thought that a good topic was one that made me look smarter than anyone else in the room. <laughs> Thanks for your podcasts, Brian. And uh, he's he's always a breath of fresh air, a little little bit irreverent, uh, but the observation about what makes a good meeting. Um, you have uh, thoughts about that, Harriet? I I do. I um I remember the first time you know that I wanted to save up to share until I had the awesomest, most insightful thing that anybody <laughs> had ever heard, and uh, <laughs> and then now it has totally changed. But I, I absolutely did in the very beginning, you know, think that I wanted to win for sure. Yeah. Okay. And and I have had that feeling. And what's what what keeps me humble is. When I think I've just, you know, I had such a wonderful concept that I was going to share, whatever, and then I feel like I totally blew it. Like, I didn't, I did not get my idea across. And then somebody says, thank you so much for your share. It really, um, it really meant a lot to me or whatever. I'm like, that, (laughs) that piece (laughs) of trash. I don't say that, but that's, you know, that's my self-talk going. So uh, thanks, Brian, for the, uh, for the observation. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. Want to read the email from Monica? 
Sure. I want to say thank you for the show. It brings much hope and serves as a reminder that I am not alone in my sometimes crazy and controlling behaviors. I have not yet connected with a group, but I hope to find one soon. I am ready to work the steps and find a sponsor who can support me in this additional part of my journey. Blessings and thank you again, Monica. And and Monica, you know, it's emails like yours that really let me know that I'm doing something that matters to people here, um, that um, you are finding value and you want to want to move forward. You want to grow um, from the things that we've said here on the podcast and, and you haven't even made it to your first meeting yet. That's just amazing. Um, do make it to a meeting, do find a sponsor, but uh, um, you know, I really appreciate that. Um, you know, I guess that you appreciate that what I'm doing. Okay. Enough of that. Any thoughts? Um, not on that one, but I, I can speak to say that I, I too, you know, before I went to meetings regularly or found one, I found a lot of solace from your podcast. So I really can second how important that is. And I would encourage you, Monica, to go to, um, but it is, it is a, a great, um, it's a great resource. Okay. And our third email today. Dear Spencer, I have been a grateful member of Al-Anon for many years now and have been blessed to live in a place with strong recovery community. I attended two meetings a week and plugged into a fellowship of women who truly changed my life. My home group, a women's writing group, also reconnected me with my love of writing and I have posted written shares to an Al-Anon blog for several years now. The amazing women in my fellowship taught me how to stand squarely in my own life to accept responsibility for my actions, and to muster the courage to step out of my comfort zone when change is called for. One of the changes I needed to make, however, took me away from my familiar nest, and I am now sitting at the table with strangers again. I moved far enough away that I can't attend my old meetings like I used to, so I am trying new ones, and have confidence that with time I will find the same warm connections I did before. My new home is also an hour away from work, so I spend quite a bit of time driving to and from the office, and one thing has made the drive tolerable is listening to podcasts. So much incredible content can be found on the web for free. Fortunately, I found The Recovery Show and downloaded a random episode from the 90 that were available. I was longing for an Al-Anon connection and missing my friends when your podcast started playing in the car. I found the show rich with recovery, true to the steps and traditions, and truly helpful. Then about two-thirds of the way through the podcast, I heard you mention something you had read on a blog, an Al-Anon blog, my blog, and there it was, a connection. I hadn't remembered it until just then, but you reached out to me a year and a half ago via email. I hadn't discovered the benefit of podcasts yet, so I never listened, but today they are my lifeline to sanity on the road, and you will now be in my ear every week as I head into work. The amazing thing is that out of 90 podcasts, I chose to download the one in which you showed me that sometimes we toss our thoughts out into the universe like no one is listening, but they are. It may take time to see the ripple land ashore a year and a half later, but eventually it does. Thank you for your amazing work. I will be listening, and now that the mayhem of moving has settled down, I'll be writing again as well. Let's both keep coming back. I, for one, am grateful that our ripples crossed paths. Yours in recovery, Hummingbird. 
And her blog is at ellenonjournal.com. We do have a link to that on the website already. Uh, and I have found um, some some really um, good stuff there for me. And uh, as she said, I, I have mentioned it on the on the podcast before. So I'm just, you know, again, this this throwing a stone out and and the ripples eventually come back idea. Um, and that she picked that one. I probably have mentioned it in more than one, but still, you know, maybe two or three out of ninety, and she picked one of those to listen to the first time. There's there's a higher power at work there. I I just am, am sure of that. Um, any thoughts on on Hummingbird's uh, letter? I, there was a lot in the letter that I thought was really insightful, um, but I love I just love the story, and it does really feel like. I, I love hearing somebody else's higher power moment. Uh, I always seem to hear them when I need one for myself. So um, that I, and I love the concept of, you know, we all give it back to each other. Yes, we do. At times that we need it. And, and that's what sort of comes loud and clear to me with this example. Yeah. Yeah, I've had that feeling in in meetings a lot lately. Somebody says something that was, you know, just what I needed. Mm -hmm. That happened. All right. Partly because I'm listening. Hmm. Um, That's the meditation part, right? Make myself Mm -hmm. open to listening. Right. I just wanted to uh, talk a little bit about uh, upcoming holidays and how they may or may not affect uh, my recording schedule for the uh, recovery show. I think I am going to be able to uh, record next weekend. I wasn't sure if the Thanksgiving holiday was going to get in the way, but I think by Sunday the family life will be back to normal and I should be able to hold myself up for a couple hours and record a podcast. So that's good. I want to talk about gratitude. Uh, and But around the uh, the Christmas holiday, which we do celebrate in our family, we're going to be traveling, going to my parents' house, for probably about a week. And so I'm uh, expecting that uh, I will probably miss at least one episode during that time. Um, maybe not, but uh, if, if it happens, know that that's why that my life is full and I'm making choices about what I schedule and how I schedule it in order to keep myself healthy and sane. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses. They run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Becky did. Uh, We also have a list of recovery-related books. If you click on the book link at the top of the page, uh, you can see, and I, I added a couple books to it recently, and some of these books, you can order them from Amazon uh, by clicking on one of those links, and we'll get a little bit of a commission, actually, on anything you order from Amazon if you click through the Amazon link from our website. And that also helps to keep us going. Uh, and if you've got book ideas, please send them. Uh, you know, Those are the ones that, that we came up with, and I'm, I keep finding new Al-Anon literature that's not linked there and linking it in. Uh, and all of the Al-Anon books go to the Al-Anon uh, uh, online store. So if you can't find a particular Al-Anon book at your meeting uh, and you really want to get it, uh, you can order it directly from Al-Anon online. We don't get a commission on those, but that's okay. Uh, Thank you for your support uh, in whatever form you give it, whether it's 
telling your friends about the show or even just listening. Uh, we are here for you. Our last song selection is called Isolation, and it's by Crowded House. And actually, I was amazed how many groups have done songs named Isolation. But this one, uh, to me, it's it's a sort of a haunting song. Uh, it's it's really sort of soft and delicate, um, but with this message uh, about being isolated, but with a hope of of breaking out of the isolation. And here's some words from towards the end of the song: If you could open it up, you could connect it to us. One step is more than enough to get a look in. You could be already gone. I wish you could take me along to end this isolation. To end this isolation. Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time. 